Luke 19, starting verse 28. Beloved congregation, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God is eternal. It abides forever. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had been seen that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the pharisees and the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples he answered i tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out so ends the reading of god's word let us Ask his blessing on our time in it this morning. Our God and our King, you are worthy of all glory and honor. Your word exalts you. And as we come, we ask that you would give us the humility to hear, to receive, and to surrender to its truth. May we be people of your word, even as we approach now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. Well, it seems like everyone has a problem with Jesus. Uh, That was true in his day. We see it in the book of Luke. And it's true today. Some people have a problem with his glory. They don't like the fact that he demands praise, submission. Uh, it makes them uncomfortable. It's, it's fine so long as he is a, a moral example, so long as he is a good teacher, as long as he doesn't pose a threat, as long as he's just one of us. If that's the case, he's okay. He's fine. But, but God, Lord, King, Well, that's more than many can take. It was certainly more than the Pharisees in our passage were willing to accept. Some are very bothered by his glory, his rule. And others are uncomfortable with his humility, with his lowliness. The fact that that he allows people to mistreat him. That, that he silences those who, who want to proclaim his accomplishments. There are people who see in him potential for, for power and for control, and he will have nothing to do with them. 
He knows what's in their hearts, and, and it's not service, it's not love. And he himself, he is meek and he is lowly, and that bothers some people. And for many, that is an impenetrable obstacle to following him. He is simply an enigma, a confusing riddle. Because, because Jesus is both Lord and servant. He is both king and slave. He is both lion and he is lamb. He came to set a people free by dying for them. And so he is to be feared and he is to be loved and cherished. And he confuses us with those extremes. And our passage today it begins his final week of, of his earthly life on this earth. Everything we have been seeing in our journey through Luke over this past year or more has been, is about to come to a head, beginning in this passage. He, he's, he's put all the pieces in place, and now he's going to start to reveal why. And he's no longer going to be coy about who he is, because he is the Lord of glory. But neither, neither will he settle for a passing earthly glory that is not worthy of him. Because nothing less than an eternal heavenly glory is worthy of our king. Neither will he avoid the road of suffering that so many find offensive. What we're going to see as we open up this passage this morning is, is, that, is that Jesus came to broker a peace between heaven and earth, to make peace between a holy God and sinful man. And he's the only one who can do it. He, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And, and, and because of that, he is worthy of our worship and our praise. That's what we're going to see as, as we open this wonderful passage this morning. Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem. Luke has been building this up in, in his narrative. He's been letting us know what awaits Jesus there. Betrayal, torture, murder, and yet he presses on. The end is getting close and, and nothing will deter him. And so Jerusalem sort of continues to hang over our heads with this, this, this sense of dread, this dark cloud but then Luke mentions Olivet, this mountain, sometimes called the Mount of Olives, or, or simply Olivet. And, and places in the Bible, they, they have an identity, they have a story, and uh, they have a history. And Olivet is no different. Perhaps you remember uh, later in David's life when his son Absalom usurped him and stole the hearts of the people away from David. And David had to flee Jerusalem in shame and in tears while it was up Mount Olivet that he rode. 2 Samuel 15. Uh, it is on Olivet uh, in, in just a short time from which Jesus will ascend to the Father, saying goodbye to his disciples for the last time. And then angels appear to the disciples and they tell, they tell them, don't you know that he will return as he has left? He will return on this mountain. 
This is where Jesus will return, and that fits with what the prophet Zechariah describes in chapter 14 of his book, uh, vividly describing the last battle on the last day where, where Jesus the Lord will stand with his feet on the Mount of Olives on Olivet and call all nations to give an account and stand before their God in judgment. And the New Testament assumes an understanding of the old. Without it, we miss so much. When Luke says he was on the mount that is called Olivet, it's meant to invoke some sense of understanding that this is the mountain. This is the mountain of glory. This is the, the mountain of power. This is where the messianic king will come and deliver his people. It's meant to to bring the sense, has the time come? Has the king arrived? But Zechariah doesn't say the king in in Zechariah 14. Zechariah says the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives, on Olivet, and wage war. The Lord will come. The Lord will rescue his people. The Lord will stand on this mountain. And so we should not miss what Jesus calls himself in verse 31. Sending those two disciples ahead into the village, uh, he tells them to untie the colt that they find and bring it to him. And if anyone asks, what are they doing? Do you remember what Jesus says? Tell them the Lord has need of it. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that Jesus refers to himself as the Lord. And he does so while standing on Olivet. He knows what he's doing. And yet there's more. Well, well, Luke doesn't tell us uh, the cult of what Matthew does. It's the cult of a donkey, not a horse. And this too is meant to raise eyebrows. Because Zechariah also said this. Prophesying the coming of the Messiah, Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah says, This is now you'll know your king is coming. He will come on a donkey's colt. The sign of the messianic king would be that. And that imagery even goes back a lot, lot earlier in Israel's history, back to the days of Jacob, the, the grandson of Abraham, the father of the 12 tribes. As, as, as Jacob was uh, preparing to die, he calls his 12 sons to him in Genesis 49, and he gives them each a unique blessing, and he sets Judah aside as the, the tribe from which the kings of Israel will come. And he says this, Judah is a lion's cub. This is why we, where we get the lion of Judah, right? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the kingly rule, and, uh, until peace comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Sending his disciples to get a donkey's colt. It was no accident. It's no mere convention of convenience. Like, oh, I know there's a donkey there. and My legs are so tired. That's, that's not what he's saying. Everything anticipated since the days of Jacob, everything is about to be fulfilled. 
The long-awaited king has come. He is on Mount Olivet. His donkey is being prepared, and he is coming to Jerusalem. Everything, everything the Bible has been saying has been moving towards this moment. It's impossible to overstate how significant all of this is. How much is encapsulated in those words, all of that, cult and Lord. Jesus wants his people to see him for who he is. He is the Lord, the long-awaited king, the only hope of God's people. Back in chapter 13, He told the people in Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so as the king, the Lord, rides into Jerusalem, the people take Psalm 118. We we heard it in our call to worship this morning. They take it to their lips, but there's one small alteration. Psalm 18 actually says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the people can't help themselves. They see the cult And so they insert the word king. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They seem to understand what's going on and why he came. And so they they, they say, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. This is why he came, to bring peace. And it it harkens back to how Luke's gospel began. If you remember back to chapter 2, What did the angels say? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And here they're saying peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And these two proclamations of peace, they they bracket all that goes on in Luke's gospel. And the idea is Jesus came to bring peace between a sinless God and sinful men on earth. That's why he came. That's what he's here to do. All he has done, all he has said is about making peace between a holy God and sinful people. And we ask how and at what cost? Well, to this point, I've, I've focused on the glory of the Lord that is, that is rightly due to him. We've seen this in those, those passages that talk about Olivet and the donkey's colt. And yet, in each of those passages, there's another side. Yes, Zechariah 9 foretells the arrival of the king, the messianic king, on the colt of a donkey. But did you notice the word humble in that passage? Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The king who comes with salvation is on a donkey, not because it's a majestic beast of war, but because it's a humble pack animal, bearing a burden. And the point is that salvation that he brings will come at a cost. He's, he comes not just as Lord, but he comes a servant as well. He comes not just as king, but a king who is bound and led away like a slave. And the point is salvation, the salvation he brings comes at a cost. The passage I read from from Genesis 49 for telling the future king ends with these words. He has washed 
his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. The king who rides on a donkey's colt rides to his own death. He will bring cleansing. He will remove sin's stain. But it won't come through water. It will come through blood. And so this this march to glory that we're reading is, is also a humiliating ride for the king. And yet even that was anticipated. This is not the first time a, a, a great king has, has ridden this road in humiliation. David rode up all of it in tears and humiliation when he was betrayed by his own son. This road is no stranger to humiliated kings. And that's the cost of peace. It's the cost he's willing to pay. Because this is the only way to make peace between, between heaven and earth. Between a holy God and, and sinful man. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Because sin itself deserves death. Someone has to pay the price. Someone has to suffer the penalty. And without that the barrier remains. And while people don't want a king that dies, a ruler that suffers, the reality is there is no salvation without one. This passage is rightly called the triumphal entry. It should be, because Jesus is exalted. He's he's receiving the praise that he is due. He is the mighty king. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Lord of heaven. He receives no glory but what is due to him. And yet, amidst all of that, there's an undercurrent that we can't ignore. We don't want to ignore because the Bible has done so much to keep us from missing it. The road from Olivet to Jerusalem is the road of glory through suffering. It's the path to life through death. It's a humble road for a glorious king. And that brings us full circle. There are two things that people don't like about Jesus, and this passage has both of them. The first is his claim to be Lord. Make no mistake, standing on all of it, saying the Lord has need of this donkey, could have only one meaning. Jesus is saying he is the Lord of Israel. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Moses. He is the one who led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he is the one who will come on the last day to whom all men will give an account. There's no ambiguity. There's no vagueness. That's the claim. And the Pharisees hated it. When the people ascribed Psalm 118 to him, when they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the Pharisees cried out, Teacher, rebuke them. They're treating you like God. And his response, What else could they do? I'm the creator, I am worthy of their praise. If they don't praise me, the very stones on which you're walking will. 
Because that's what creation does. It praises its creator. The other thing that makes people stumble is Jesus' insistence on serving. His humility. They want him riding on a stallion. Charging the troops. Terrifying Rome. A king who rides on a donkey is unacceptable. It's an abhorrent. One who's willing to surrender and suffer is abominable to their senses. And his response is, there's no peace without it. He makes no apology for being Lord and he offers none for being servant. Our only question is what do we do with those two claims? How do you respond to the king who wore a crown of thorns? What do you do with one who is both Lord and servant? If you're one of his you know the only response to such truths is praise. To cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. You know that he's too great to settle for passing a passing earthly glory. That when he returns, he will come with, with an eternal heavenly glory, the likes of which this world could not contain. And he will return in the, in the way he left, on, on all of that. And when he comes, he will set all things right. If you're his, you will accept that to be like him means accepting that this life and this world will bring affliction. And you will bear that in order to serve him and to serve others you will readily acknowledge that being adopted children of the king is a calling to serve others and not be served. It's no surprise that we end our time in God's word at a table meant to remind us of these twin truths. Our king wore a crown, but it was a crown of thorns. Our king conquered death by submitting to it. He washed us in his blood. The bread and the wine are reminders that his blood was shed to save our souls. And so as we come to the table, the Lord's table in front of us, we we acknowledge that he is both Lord and servant, that he is both king and slave, that he is both lion and lamb. And we bow And we give thanks. We acknowledge that we would have it no other way because because there's no other way to salvation. And as we come, it's an act of worship, praising the very one in whom alone peace is found. And so I'd like to ask the elders to come as we receive uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, thank you. 
for sending your Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to come and suffer and die for us. We thank you that the Lord is a servant, the King is a slave, that the Lion is a lamb. For without him we would have no hope, no salvation, and no peace. And so we praise him, knowing that all glory in heaven and earth is his. Amen.